Well, good evening. Let's open to Mark chapter 10. We're going to read two parallel accounts here, but we'll start in Mark. Mark chapter 10 and verse 35. And James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to him, saying to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant that we may sit in your glory, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which, which, which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup I drink, you shall drink. And you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for, the, for those for whom it has been prepared. And then Matthew 20. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 20. Verse 17. And as Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him, and on the third day he will be raised up. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with their with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you are asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, My cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve 
and to give his life a ransom for many. Well, I would like to speak to you on the subject, Are You Able? It's a question the Lord asks. Are you able? Um, why don't we pray here? Father, we would begin by saying in ourselves we are not able to speak the Word of God or to hear the Word of God in a way that will make any difference. But in Christ, we are. And so we ask for your help now. Pray that you would use this portion, these portions of Scripture to teach us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> There's a song that we don't sing very often uh, that begins with those words, Are ye able? Are ye able, said the Master, to be crucified with me? Yea, the sturdy dreamers answered, To the death we will follow thee. So I want to analyze a little bit uh, concerning these, what the songwriter said, sturdy dreamers. Uh, that there was James and John, although actually all the uh, disciples, all the apostles here fit within that category. Um, what you see in these two accounts are two radically different views of what life on earth is all about. Both accounts give basically the same uh, information, one a little bit more than the other, but there's a contrast um, given to us in these accounts, and it has to do with how we view life here on earth. The world's view of importance has to do with power and position and dominance. The Lord's view is quite different. He says what really matters is that we learn to serve. And it's obvious as we read these accounts that James and John, really along with the other disciples, but particularly James and John, were still looking at things from a quite worldly perspective. I think they were still thinking of Christ setting up an earthly kingdom and they were looking for places of special prominence in that earthly kingdom, uh, places of special authority. They were kind of wanting to be in a what, what uh, today in our uh, governmental system would be like they would want a cabinet position right next to the president, uh, some place high in the chain of command. That's what they were wanting when they asked him about this. Now, uh, you probably noted that in Matthew's account, it was their mother that comes first and brings up the subject. And I, I don't know exactly how that, that all worked out in terms of how this was uh, historically actually happened. It seems like maybe the mother came and said some things, and then, then James and John came. Maybe they thought by sending their mom first, she'd kind of break down uh, the barriers, uh, make it a little bit easier for them to ask the question. Uh, anyway, it uh, was obvious that it was what 
James and John really wanted. It wasn't just something the mothers, uh, the mother wanted, but it was something that they wanted themselves because a G- Jesus addresses his answer to them, as you see in verse 22. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you're asking for, and he specifically speaks to them about that. Uh, so it was, it was something that was in their hearts, um, and apparently their mother thought along that same lines. Well, there must have been many things. We, we know from the scriptures there were many things that Jesus taught that his disciples just didn't get. They just couldn't receive it at the time. Um, we know that this teaching related to um, what was going to happen to him being delivered up to the Gentiles and crucified things. They didn't understand it. Um, let's just look real quick at Luke 18. Luke 18, verse 31 says, And he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and they and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon, and after, and after they will scourge him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. Now here's the point. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. They just didn't get it at all, what he was saying. But somehow they must have thought he's, this, he's, what he's saying here means this, his kingdom's going to come here soon, and we want to be right there, uh, you know, in a place of authority when, when it's set up. Um, they, they just didn't understand. They didn't understand. Uh, actually, if you're back in Matthew um, chapter 20, just a few verses before that, uh, he'd already taught them about what's really important in the kingdom of God, which is humility. Uh, Matthew 18, 1 through 4, at this time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like a child, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, they didn't get it. Here they are asking to be greatest by, you know, being put in a position of authority and power. Uh, so they they just didn't understand uh, what was going on. And so, you know, they were trying to figure all this out. Um, he did, he had told them again prior to what he said here in Matthew 20, in Matthew 19, verse 27, he said, <clears throat> Then Peter answered and said to him, Behold, we have left everything to follow you. What then will be, uh, be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in, in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit on this glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel, so you know they had this idea. Well, we got, we're going to have this great position if if Christ would just set up His kingdom, which sounds like He's what's He's going to He's going to do now. Uh, we're going to have these positions of prominence. So uh, they must have felt like this was imminent, and 
you know, they were wondering about what position they'd have. They just didn't understand what was going on. And they certainly didn't understand when Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They just didn't understand what he was saying there at all. They didn't, I don't think they made the reference back to what he just said about going to Jerusalem and being crucified and scourged. Um, I don't think they made that connection at all. They were wondering, what is this cup uh, he's talking about here? Um, now, you know, that's a little bit easier for us uh, to understand when we read this account here in Matthew 20 because we know, uh, we know the rest of the story. Uh, we know, for instance, that uh, Jesus said there in the garden, he prayed, if possible, let this cup pass from me. So we know what he was talking about when he was talking about the cup. We know it had to do with his crucifixion, his suffering and his crucifixion. Um, in fact, he refers there in the garden, he refers to his, his suffering and the crucifixion three times as a cup. Um, let me just show you one other one because this is right at the end of the time there in the garden. Um, John 18.11 This is after Peter had drawn his sword and struck the high priest's slave. Jesus therefore said to Peter, Put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? So again, this understanding of what the cup involved. But even if we think in terms of just the suffering related to the cross, especially just the physical suffering, we're really missing Christ's understanding of what that cup meant. Because when he talked about the cup, he was thinking in terms of what he knew from the Old Testament that that cup represented. And that cup represented not just the wrath of man that was going to be poured out upon him, the hatred, the bitterness of man, but it also represented the wrath of God to be poured out upon him. The cup, often in the Old Testament, represented the judgment of God. Uh, let's just look at, a, at two of those. Uh, Psalm 75. And verses 7 and 8. Psalm 75, 7. But God is the judge. He puts down one, he exalts another. For a cup is in the hand of the Lord, and the wine foams. It is well mixed, and he pours out of this. Surely all the wicked of the earth must drain and drink it, drink it down its dregs. So this cup represents God's judgment being poured out. Um, Jeremiah 25. There are verses like this in Isaiah also, but we're just going to look at these two here. Jeremiah 25. And uh, verse 15 through 
through 18. For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, says to me, Take this cup of the wine of wrath from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. And they shall drink it, they shall drink and stagger and go mad because of the sword that I will send among them. Then I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations drink to whom the Lord sent me, Jerusalem and the cities of Judea, Judah and its kings and princes, to make them a ruin, a horror, a hissing, and a curse to this day. Now, that was God's cup as it was poured out. And it says it would make a ruin, a horror, a hissing, and a curse. And and this is what Christ understood about the cup that was going to be poured out upon him, you see. It would make him a ruin, a horror, a hissing, and a curse to this day. He understood that this cup was much more than just the bitterness, the wrath of man. It, in, it involved the wrath of God. And, you know, when, when we read through uh, a section like Isaiah 53, which tells of the suffering servant, I think when Christ read through that, he was... He was analyzing and coming to understand more and more of what it, what, what it meant that he, the wrath of God was going to be poured out upon him. When you read through Isaiah 53, you see two things. You see the wrath of man as it was going to be expressed uh, against Christ. You also see the wrath of God as it was going to be uh, expressed against Christ. So you have here's here's some words that Christ would be aware of when he thought about this cup. There would be a word like smitten of God, afflicted, pierced, crushed. Um But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, grief, anguish of his soul. Um, these, in other words, when Christ thought of this cup, he was taking the Old Testament examples and truths, and he knew this, this is what was going to be involved in this cup for him. So, um, the disciples had no idea what he was talking about. And the fact is, we have very little idea of what we're talking about when we talk about this. Well, it's amazing then that here, in, in, back in our account in, in uh, Matthew 20, it's amazing, I think, how uh, 
gentle of an answer the Lord has for these, uh, I would say, foolish and presumptuous and proud Mm -hmm. disciples as they come with this request. I mean, he's really gentle with them. He just says, you don't know what you're asking for. You don't know what you're saying. Um, and that's the way it is with so many of our requests also. We, um, I mean, it's just true. We don't know what we're saying a lot of times in prayer. We just don't know what we're asking for because we're still so wrapped up in ourselves and unaware of God's real desires and purposes that I think it is still quite true for us. We don't know what we're asking for in many of our requests. Uh, We're yet quite ignorant and selfish in many areas. Actually, what they had was too low a view of what the kingdom was all about and too high a view of themselves. Uh, I'm sure they must have realized that uh, there was going to be some suffering and difficulty involved uh, in what lay ahead. And to their credit, I will say this, they did have the right desire. You know, we want to follow you. We're going to be with you. Uh, we, we'll, we'll do it. Uh, they were willing, though not truly able, at least at this point, to drink the cup. Um, you know, it wasn't very long after they said this that they, James and John, along with the rest of the disciples, would desert him. They all left and fled, James, John, and the whole crew, um, when he was arrested. So, they're, they're, in other words, their insight into their abilities and their own heart was pretty small. And again... Uh, we are like that ourselves. That's why it's good to pray, search me, O God, and know my heart, because we can't do the searching ourselves. Search me, O God, and know my heart. I don't know. We don't know ourselves very well. And I think sometimes uh, God even allows us to sin as Christians just to show us again how weak and foolish we are and how much we need Him. We're too confident uh, often. So, are ye able? Are we able? Well, I think a better answer would have been uh, at this point, uh, Lord, Thou knowest. Because we don't know, but they thought they did. Or... uh, We believe, by the grace of God, we're able. But that's not what they said. They said, we're able. But God had to do some major humbling yet uh, for them to be convinced of their inability and and his ability. Uh, Again, they were real disciples. I'm not uh, downplaying that though they still had much foolishness and pride and overconfidence to be dealt with. 
And, uh, you know, this was, this was Peter's problem too. You know, I'm not going to deny you. I won't do it. Well, he did. But in the end, God brings him through by his grace. Um, we're not going to be able to get ourselves to the place where we deny ourselves and take up the cross. That takes the work of Christ. It takes a miracle, in fact, a miracle of grace. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit. It takes the life and death and resurrection of Christ and his intercession for us, for us to be able. We are utterly dependent upon God to save us and to sanctify us, but this is what he's purposed to do. So in Christ, we are able. Are you able? Well, all you can say is, in Christ, yes. Are you able to drink the cup that God has for you? Well, the answer is no, not in ourselves. Our strength, our abilities, our efforts will be of no avail, but we are able, by the grace of God, through the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to drink the cup that Christ has for us. So at first they failed, but ultimately they didn't fail. James and John did both drink the cup. That's what he said. My cup you shall drink. Uh, Both these disciples, um, it's like they were right and they were wrong. You know, they were right, but they didn't know what they were saying when they when they said it. And they were wrong because they were still too confident in themselves. Um, James was the first apostle to be martyred. And John was the last apostle to die. Luke tells us this in the book of Acts, chapter 12. He said, Now about that time Herod, the king, stretched forth his hands to mistreat certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So here's the first apostle to be killed. He was still a young man when he was killed. He was arrested and beheaded by Herod Agrippa. But his brother, John, the other one in this account, lived to the age of 95, or around that age anyway. And he was the one who was writing the book of Revelation on the island of Patmos. He calls himself a fellow partaker in the tribulation. So uh, he was persecuted for many years and eventually was Uh, exiled to this island. He apparently was the only apostle to escape a violent death. Now, why am I bringing all that out? Well, I think that's an important thing to note. They had different cups, at least outwardly the cup was different. Uh, The one was killed not too long after this account here in Matthew 20 just a few years later. Uh, 
The other lived many years afterward. There's no one cup that every Christian drinks in terms of the outward situation. But there is one cup in the sense of it. it's, it's all involved in simply following Christ where he leads you. Drinking the cup refers to remaining faithful to whatever God calls you to in Christ. There's one cup in the sense that it will always involve humble, self-giving, sacrificial service. That's the one cup. But that will work out different in each Christian's life. Um, this service we're talking about is what he goes on and talks to them about. He says that the way you're going to live has is, is got to be different than the way the Gentiles live. Where they, where great men exercise authority over, try to exercise authority over one another. It's not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. This is the way of greatness in the kingdom, and in that we're simply following in Christ's steps. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That word ransom, you know, has to do with the redemption price paid to free a slave. And this is the great truth of the gospel here, really, in this last verse, verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The great truth of the gospel has to do with Christ's death as an atonement for sin. He didn't die as a martyr or as an example. He died as a sacrifice for sin. He died to pay the debt that we couldn't pay. We weren't able to pay that. And he paid it for us. What we could not do by ourselves out of slavery slavery to sin, he did for us by giving his life a ransom for many. His death was sufficient for all and effectual for many. So um, you can't change yourself. And this is part of what the disciples hadn't got a hold of yet. You can't do it. You're not able You can't get yourself out of the slavery that sin has gotten you into. But Christ came to give his life a ransom for many. He's able. Um, to go back to the original picture that he was talking about here, this cup analogy, he drank the cup of God's wrath so that you and I don't have to. But that didn't mean there's not a cup for us. There's yet a cup of humble, self-giving sacrifice which comes to all followers of Christ. Again, it's in different ways and different degrees for different Christians. But it's still a cup. And that cup will always involve 
the Christian saying, not my will, but thine. And it will involve some degree of being despised and rejected by the world. In other words, Christ took the wrath of God, but because we live in a fallen world, we're still going to have to experience something of the wrath of man if we are following Christ. Christ drank the cup of God's wrath in our place. There was no other way to remove that cup of judgment. You're either going to drink it yourself or he's going to drink it for you. As the apostle said, he who knew no sin was made sin for us. He drank that cup of the wrath of God. And he drank it down to the last drop, the last bitter dregs for every, for every believer. So again, no cup of wrath from God. In fact, God now welcomes us, but the world doesn't. There's still that cup, that aspect of the cup. In fact, Jesus said, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So the question is, are you able? Are you able? Well, I would say what what Christ said to his disciples when they were wondering, you know, who who then can do this? Who can be saved? He said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Yes, you're able in Christ. In him ye are able. And you won't, as you drink the cup that Christ has, it won't be bitter dregs. Let me remind you what Christ said to his disciples before the Garden of Gethsemane. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So here's, here's another cup, not the cup of the, the wrath of God, a new cup, cup of the new covenant in Christ's blood. The cup of wrath has been taken away forever for the Christian. Uh, He'll never taste it again. But there is this new cup to replace it. And this is the cup of Jesus' blood, the blood spilled there on the cross as he drank the cup of God's wrath. It's a cup that was poured out for the forgiveness of sin. And he drained that cup of of the wrath of God right down to the last drop. We now have the cup of Christ's blessing earned through his blood, his death. And there are no dregs in the cup of God's love. And it's a cup that we'll drink forever and ever. So, 
are ye able? That's a, that was the question that he asked. And they, they were able, eventually, by the grace of God, by the power of God, to drink the cup. And that's true for every Christian. And uh, that song, uh, we, you know, we don't sing it very much. And I, it's not, you know, the, I, the reason that I don't miss it that much is because I, I think there's kind of a misplaced emphasis in the song. Um, because it's like we answer the way the, the disciples answered, which really wasn't a very good answer at the time. Um, so it's, uh, it's kind of one of those songs that has some, a mixture of good and bad in it. But I do like this one verse. Are ye able to remember when a thief lifts, lifts up his eyes that his pardoned soul is worthy of a place in paradise? In other words, do you remember that that cup of God's wrath has been totally drained because Christ drank it. He's taken it all. Uh, and when a thief or anybody else lifts up their eyes to Christ, their pardoned soul is worthy of a place in paradise. And that's true for each one of us if we lift up our eyes. Well, um, I'll close there. But just some thoughts related to this account here. Towards the end of the time that Christ was instructing his disciples and they still hadn't got it, but God was working and continued to work until they did understand. And that's, that's grace. And we can be thankful for that. Like I said, I think there's still many areas that we don't understand. And our prayers uh, are... Um, things that... Um, if God answered exactly the way we prayed him, we'd be in trouble. But he answers them in, in the way that he knows is best. Well, let's pray again. Father, we want to thank you for sending your son and making it so that this cup of your wrath is something that we don't have to drink ourselves if we put our trust in him. And we thank you for that cup of blessing, that new covenant that uh, provides for the forgiveness of our sins. And uh, we just um, want to acknowledge that uh, 
apart from you, we can do nothing, but we are not apart from you. We're part of you because you've worked in our hearts and put us in Christ. And uh, we're thankful that we can say, in Christ we are able. There is a sufficiency for all you'd called us to in the area of service and sacrifice. And uh, we're thankful for the provision that that you've made for us. Help us to walk in it in these days to come. Help us, as you said, to take up our cross daily and follow you where we're able because you've enabled us. We thank you for what we have seen. We thank you for the things we understand. We pray that you would uh, bring us on, teach us more, renew our minds, cause us to see things clearer, and uh, thereby glorify you uh, more. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.